This is a free download from Delancey Elim Church. We meet every Sunday morning at 10.30am in the Delancey Elim Church building at Le Banks, St. Samson's, in the Channel Island of Guernsey. To contact us or find out more information about us, please visit our website at delanceyelim.co.uk. Anyway, John chapter 4. I want to just carry on talking a little bit about worship this morning. Verse 23. Any other words of Jesus? We just want to just get a hold of this. I just want us to really grasp the power of worship and all the benefits and all the amazing things that worship can bring about in our lives. John 4, verse 23. But the hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is a spirit and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. So I want to just talk really about, about what, what is true worship. I mean, often we have all kinds of, if I was to kind of even give a survey, you know, you'd think, you'd be amazed at some of the kind of ideas that people have. But the tragedy with sometimes is we often base it on the kind of the sound of the music and uh, it's not really the, the essence of, of what worship is. Because as we're going to look at this one, worship is all about the heart, really. It really is about the heart. You'll be amazed. All, all kinds of things happen in church because of all kinds of outward exteriors where really worship is about this, this, this thing here, about spirit and truth. And, and worship is powerful because it, it has an incredible power and influence on atmospheres. I think true, powerful worship in spirit and truth can change atmospheres. How many, how many have found that? That often you can be in a kind of... I often find, this is my own personal view, that often when there's heaviness in an atmosphere, I often believe one of the reasons why in a gathering when there's heaviness in an atmosphere is because really we've not really tapped into praise and worship. Because I don't really think you can really tap into true worship in its essence, in its totality, and not have something changed in your own life. Not atmos- some atmosphere change and be transformed. And so, this is vital. Worship, what is worship? You know, what really is it? What, how do you define what true worship is? Because you think about it. If there's true worship, then the opposite must be true. There must be false worship. Is that right? Is that true? If, if, if it's true worship, then there must be false worship. And I don't know about you, I want to be a true worshipper. I don't want to be kind of living a life of false worship. I want to be a person of true worship. Now, let's just think about it. What is the difference between praise and worship? Often people's idea of the difference between praise and worship is that, you know, praise is the fast songs and worship is where we kind of, kind of oh, we're slow a bit down now. But actually, that's not really what praise and worship is. Let me just define what I, what I think the difference Because I think I shared before, I don't know if I did here or when I did the worship band, whatever it is, there's a protocol in into coming to God's presence. Do you know that? The Bible says you enter his courts with thanksgiving and praise. So almost there's a protocol. When you stand before her majesty, the queen, there's a protocol. You don't just turn up and you know, give her a hug or give her, give her a five or something and say, hi Liz, how you doing? You, know, you just don't do that. that right, that's right, Sid, isn't it? You just don't have that kind of attitude. You, you have to walk backwards, I think, and bow. There's a, a, a certain protocol that you have when you come to royalty. I think it was, was it Princess Anne who came to Guernsey a few years ago and she was upset that someone 
they, they tried to help her when she was falling over and they got in trouble. I mean, anyway, but the point is, is, there's protocol. And there's protocol when you come to God's presence. You come in with praise, you come in with thanksgiving, which then takes you to worship. Now let me say what praise is. Praise affirms the work of God. Worship affirms the presence of God. Praise is talking about the mighty works of God, where worship is talking about the person of God. It's almost like this. The praise is saying, Lord, I praise you. I thank you for my salvation. Thank you for the work. Thank you for that amazing work of salvation. And in a sense, that's praise. Where worship is, Jesus, I love you so much. I just love you. Thank you for your salvation. I love you. And we can see the difference. So praise is thanking God for his work, where worship is thanking God for his person. Worship says, Jesus, I love you. Praise says, thank you for what you do. There's a nice one. Praise is the possession of the king. I love this. Worship is the coronation of the king. How many love that? In other words, what worship really, really is all about it's crowning Jesus in our service. Wouldn't it be sad to, to go through a whole worship service and we never crown the one that's all about? So true worship is when you crown Jesus as king. And I think when we crown Jesus with king, then the king releases his presence. One of my favorite psalms is Psalm 24. It says, swing wide, it says, swing wide the gates that the King of glory may come in. Who is the King of glory? He who is strong and mighty to deliver. I love that. And so there's this sense that as we worship, we open the gates wide to allow the presence of the King to come in. Praise is declaring, shouting, singing the mighty works of God. When we worship, we focus on the person of God. Praise is initiated by us, but worship is the answer to praise. Praise is to see God. Worship is to be found by him. Praise is almost like an ascension. You come in and maybe you feel, oh, you've had a bad week, maybe, I don't know. and been a few battles, a few things going on. Almost this kind of little bit of heaviness sort of stuff. Then, when you begin to praise... You almost feel yourself ascending up. How many found that? It's like this kind of, you're at this level, and suddenly you begin to praise, like an ascension, you begin to rise. Begin to rise. All the barriers that hold you down and hold you back begin to be lifted off. You know, one thing I've found is the devil is embarrassed about worship and praise. He's embarrassed about it. That's why the great battle of the ages is all about worship. What did Satan attack Jesus with? Remember he said, he says, if you're the son of God, then worship me. Because that's what he's wanted all the time. He's looking for worship. And people often worship him without knowing they are. And Jesus said, no, you shall worship the Lord thy God, and only him shall you worship. And so there's this incredible battle of worship. Because he knows, the enemy knows, that when people really come into a place of praise, they ascend right up. And then worship, if you like, takes you to the next level and keeps you in that place. 
And so we praise, we enter his course with praise and thanksgiving and we begin to ascend. We begin to leave the things of this earth, if you like. We begin to leave all the, all the issues, all the problems, all the, the battles and we begin to arise and ascend and then we begin to worship and we enter into the next level because we enter into his presence. Can you say amen? And that's the most glorious thing, that we enter into his presence. I think the real enemy of worship, actually, I use this term, self-conscious. In other words, that it's when we become focused on us. We become conscious of ourselves. Con- you know, it's very hard to worship when you're conscious of yourself. You're conscious of your problem, or you're conscious of your challenge, you're conscious of your difficult, and that fills your mind, and you're very conscious of that. But what worship does, it brings you to a place where you become conscious of God. You become aware of his presence. You become real conscious of God's with you. And worship brings you to that place where you kind of leave behind the self-consciousness and you come into a place of God-consciousness. You're conscious of God. And almost all the, all the other challenges, all the other things begin to kind of disappear. Because now you're just so conscious, you're so aware of God, that all those other things seem so minute in comparison to his presence. Can you say amen? That real sense, wow, God, you're amazing. God, you're awesome. God, you're with me. And I'm just so conscious that you're here. So worship brings you into that place. You know, the truth is, everybody, you were created to be a worshiper. Everybody on the face of this earth was created to worship. And and that's the truth is, people will always worship something. Is that right? If they don't worship the true and living God, they will worship something else. Because something within them can't help but worship something. They may worship their possessions. They may worship their money. They may worship all kinds of things. You'll be amazed what people worship today. So within the heart of man is a desire to worship. The issue is not that we have a desire to worship. The issue is what we worship. Because unless we worship God, the true living God, only that truly satisfies the deepest cravings of the heart. I found this. It's only in that place of worship I feel that amazing sense of pleasure and, and I find that amazing sense of true satisfaction and it's only really found in that place of worship how tragic it can be that people never find that true place of true depth of heart a true satisfaction of the heart that true conscious living that life of his presence being there because you've discovered the power of incredible worship can you say amen How awesome, how wonderful worship is. Because that brings me to the next thing, really, because what worship does, really, the thing about worship is worship is the primarily, is the prime, is the, is the, is the way. That word's not coming. Primarily, yeah, guys, it's there there somewhere. In my deep consciousness, it's there somewhere. Uh, Ever had that thing in your your head, you got it in your head, but you can't articulate it? How many have felt that? I find that a lot. Uh, Uh, But the point is, is is, is that worship is the thing that brings the presence of God into your life. There's a verse that the psalmist says, Oh, magnify the Lord with me. I love that verse. Because there's the thing, how do you magnify God? How do you make God bigger than he already is? Isn't that right? How how, how do you make God bigger? I mean, it's almost, naturally speaking, it's it's, it's kind of crazy. How do you make God bigger? 
you magnify him in your own mind and heart. You make him bigger in your mind and heart. And what worship does, actually, it enlarges God in your heart and your mind. Ever had a magnifying glass? Now, if you were probably anything like me as a kind of very cruel young person, you know what I mean? A young kid used to get your magnifying glass and you just concentrate. You focus it on something. You know, you set paper on fire. I mean, you used to do that. Bugs on fire. You know, anything that moved. Whoa, look at this. You know, anything that moved, you kind of set on fire. So it's something innocent. And so the, what the magnifying glass, it, it, it kind of concentrates the light on a certain thing. So what worship does, actually, is as you worship and you praise him, it centers his presence on your problem, on your challenge. It allows the presence of God to be almost focused on that and allows the presence of God to enter into that situation. It doesn't mean your problem will be changed, but what it does mean is that almost a new strength, a new power and a new ability enables you to face that situation, amen, because you're magnifying, you're bringing God, focusing all his energy or his presence Onto that situation. How do you want to magnify the Lord? And so we magnify, we praise Him. It's that focused invasion on that. I think I might share this last week. The Bible says that when David, remember David worshipped, I remember I shared that last week, how crazy his worship was. I'm, I'm saying, he danced, he danced. He was the most crazy worship you'd ever imagine. It was just absolutely dance. Literally, he danced with a loincloth on. I mean, you know, absolutely, he was going crazy. His wife was watching him from a window. And it says in her heart, she despised him. She despised what he did. It's interesting when you read that, and it only struck me the other day when I read her again. It doesn't say she was the wife of David. It says she was the daughter of Saul. That represents the flesh, the natural man. Because the natural man will always find extravagant worship offensive. And the Bible says that because she despised him in her heart, the Bible says from that time on, she became barren. There's no productivity. No fruitfulness in the life because she withdrew from a place of worship. Think that, with that thought in mind, turn me to Isaiah 54, verse 1, because here you see the very opposite thing. Here we see someone who is barren, in a barren situation, and we all face sometimes barren situations, things that don't seem to be moved, situations don't seem to change. Look what it says. Isaiah 54, verse 1. Sing, O barren, you have not borne, Bring forth into singing, cry aloud, you have not laboured, child. For more are the children of the desolate than the children of the married woman, says the Lord. It's almost this sense that when we shout, when we sing, when we worship, we get kind of plugged in to this supernatural process. And what seems impossible suddenly becomes possible. The presence of God is brought into barren, hard situations. There's another psalm I kind of like. It's Psalm 73. And if you read Psalm 73, it's an interesting story. Because it's a question that probably all of us ask. And here's the question that the psalmist Asaph asks in Psalm 73. He says this, Why do the wicked prosper? How many of you have ever asked that question? 
You know, why is it the guy next door to me, I've been, asked, I've been really praying for this brand new car, or this type of car, and the guy next door to me, who I know is a total utter heathen, gets it. I mean, that, you know, or that guy next door, I, I know the kind of lifestyle he's living, but how come everything seems to go well for him? How many of you ever had that question? And here, Psalm 73, he's asking that question. Why do the wicked prosper? Why is it they seem to have an easy life where I'm going through all these struggles? And as you read that psalm, he got to the point, he says, my feet had almost slipped. I'd almost totally turned from God when I, when I kind of, more I thought about that. But then, later on in the psalm, he says this, but when I entered the sanctuary of God, he says, my whole attitude changed. I saw it from a totally different perspective. And that's what worship does. Worship enables you to change your perspective on the things of life. You see things from a totally different perspective because you're seeing it from a higher level, from a higher dimension. You're no longer looking at it from, from a natural thing, you're seeing it from a new dimension of worship. And your whole perspective, the whole way you see things, begins to alter and change. And we're going to come in a moment, back to that in a moment. And so what worship does is this. It brings the presence of God. We'll never fully know the depth and the true presence of God unless it comes from a heart of true worship. True worshippers will always know the new levels and new depths of the presence of God. I think I shared before. The word worship actually means to kiss the hand off. That's what it means, to kiss the hand off. It's when I'm worshipping God. I'm kissing his hand. I'm getting close to him. I'm getting near to him. I'm coming to a level of intimacy with him. And his presence becomes closer and nearer to my life. Amen. Now go back to John 4 because I want to think of these two words. Jesus says, those who worship me, worship me in spirit and truth. Spirit and truth. The Father seeks, the Father looks for, and that word seek there is an interesting word, it means diligent. The Father is diligently looking for true worshippers. That's what he's looking for. That's what he's seeking after. That's what he he diligently looks for. And it says God's looking for them. You know why that is, I think? God's looking for worshippers because there's nothing better than you can be. It's our privilege to come and minister to him because there's no one like him in the universe. There's really nothing better for us to do than to worship him. It's the greatest assignment that the Father has ever given to us. Because it's the most amazing, most awesome, greatest thing you can ever do is to give your life to be a worshipper. To worship the Father. Did you notice this as well? He didn't tell you in a sense how to worship. He didn't go through all the outward exteriors. He didn't say... Those who worship me are those who kind of kneel on the floor or those who raise their hands or those who do this or those who do a certain... He didn't actually talk about outward performance. How many know that? What he focused on was the inner attitude of the heart. There are certain things that 
that cause the body to, to respond to worship. We do things, we raise our hands, we clap, we do all that's great, that's wonderful. But actually, we can do all those things but never truly worship because worship is really, in essence, about the heart, the attitude of the heart. Spirit and truth, not performance. And Jesus said, if you would allow me to reveal truth to you, if you allow the Spirit of God to come upon you, that will give you entrance into my heart, and I will teach you, I will lead you, I will enable you to be a worshipper. He wants worshippers. Why does he want worshippers? Because he wants intimacy. He wants closeness. He wants nearness. He doesn't want casual acquaintances. Is that right? He doesn't want people who know him on a casual basis. He wants those who are close and intimate and near to his heart. And he knows the only way that's ever going to be is through worshippers. You'll never really get to the true heart of Father unless you come to the place of worship. When you think about it, worship is all about the heart. Think about this in your own life. Think about this. Whenever you feel far from God or you don't feel close to him, whenever you feel your heart getting cold, what's the first kind of thing that kind of diminishes out your life. You know, i tell you what, it's worship. It's worship. You'll lose the desire to worship. When you're close to Father's heart, it's not like squeezing blood out of a stone. No one's going to force you to worship. No one's going to force you and make you do it. It's such a burning inner desire because it comes out of your intimacy. It comes out of your closeness with Him. Because those who worship, worship in spirit and in truth. Think of this one word, truth. That's a powerful word. The Greeks, the dear Greeks. You know, they have words for everything, you know that. Seven words for love. I'd love to have seen their Valentine's cards, would you? you know, what word should I use now? You know, make sure it's the right one. Uh, but interesting enough, they never had a word for truth. They're interested. So i tell you why. Because the Greek word for truth, actually, is the word reality. And they never separated truth from reality. They realized that reality was the same as truth. To us, truth is a concept. But to the Greek mind, to the Bible mind, actually, truth is a reality. It's something absolutely real. When you kind of realize what that word means, it kind of opens up a whole new level for you. Because Jesus says, you should know the truth. What will the truth do? Now the truth is, people often can know about truth, yet still not be free. Is that right? Because what he's saying is that you know the reality of it. It's a burning reality of your life. And out of the reality of it, it brings an incredible sense of freedom. If I just know it as a, as a concept, if I just know it as a, as a kind of intellectual truth, if you like, an interesting concept in my mind, it doesn't really set me free. But when I really have the reality of it, and it's a deep reality in my life, the result is, the reality of that particular truth in my life brings me to new levels of freedom in Christ. How many found that? Do you remember when it really became real to you? The Holy Spirit could fill you, or you could, you could do a certain thing by the power of the Spirit, that became such a reality to you. It brought you to a new level. It's where we haven't got a reality of it that we struggle in those areas. Because only the reality, the truth, sets you free.
I want to get a three. Just think about this because what does that? You know, how does that kind of work? Elisha has this interesting situation. He's there, and suddenly all these troops from Syria come down on him. And his servant looks at him and says, Master, we're covered by troops. All the, all the army, all the Syrian army is about to get us and destroy us. And I can see Elijah there, and he doesn't even blink an eye. He says, you know what? He says, Lord, open his eyes to reality. You see, in his eyes, his perception, because that's the point, we're talking about what your perception is of something. His perception was a massive army, we've had it, we're finished. But that wasn't reality. You know what reality was? Because when his eyes were opened, he saw this incredible army of angels all right there. And he suddenly realized that he who is for us is more than he's against us. He had a realization of, of reality. Because his own perception of it was limited. And often the way we look at our problems, the way we look at our circumstances, is often a limited perception of it. It's not the reality, it's not the truth. Because we only see by what we can physically see. And that is not true. That is not, that is not reality. The reality is, he who is for you is greater than he that is against you. Isn't that wonderful? Paul said, I pray that your eyes will be opened. That you would have a spirit of wisdom and a spirit of revelation. You know what revelation is? A spirit of revelation is when your eyes are opened, when the cover is removed and you see reality for what it really is. That's what revelation is. Your eyes are open, the cover, the blindness, the, the cover that you didn't see before, suddenly it's taken off your eyes and suddenly you see something as it really is. This afternoon, I'm in the prison actually, this afternoon, so pray for me, but I just found my heart, I'm just going to tell the prisoners about how real the resurrection of Jesus is. That Jesus is really alive. It's not just a, a, a theological concept, it's reality. He's really alive. Why? Because I've experienced it and I know the reality of him being alive. And that is the way we begin to live our lives. In other words, when God, when the Word of God says something different to what's around you, then his superior reality begins to be exposed to us. Because the truth of this word is a far superior reality than what your circumstances say to you. It's a superior reality to what your feelings tell you. It's a superior reality to whatever your challenge is. His word is a far superior reality. And when that gets into your heart, it changes your whole concept of the way you deal with life, the way you deal with issues, the way you begin to work, the way you begin to move. I think the Holy Spirit and the Word of God is reality itself. The Spirit of truth, the Spirit that brings reality, changes the way we perceive and see things. Let me give you another example. Ever been this way? Maybe a loved one or someone that you're praying for right now, and you pray for them. And suddenly, as you pray for them, it gets worse. How many of you have ever heard that? You pray for them, and almost the more you pray for them, 
the worse it seems to get. And so that's your perception of that situation. You know what? That's not a true perception. Because right behind the scenes, God is working on their hearts. God's moving on their life in a way that we can't perceive or see. God is doing something that we don't see what he's doing. If I just base it on, on that kind of reality, that kind of concept I have of it, then that's not a true reality. Because the true reality is God's moving, God's working, God's preparing the heart. As I'm praying, is that right? And so I begin to see what the true reality is. And that's why we've got to get this word of God deep inside our hearts. Because that is far superior reality to what we see. You know what happens when you get that in your heart? That even though outwardly nothing changes, but in your heart there's a joy, there's a peace. Because you know that you know that you know that you know there's a reality going on there. There's a new work of God that you can't see that's working and moving. That's why when God said to Joshua, he says, Joshua, you're going to face things outwardly that look ridiculous. Great armies, giants, fortresses. You're going to see absolute things that contradict what I'm telling you right now. That's why you need to meditate on my word day and night that you might be successful in all that I have called you to do. Now, how does that actually relate to worship? There's two ways it relates to worship. There's the first thing. It relates to the fact that as we're worshipping, there's a reality that we don't see. Even this morning, we don't see it. We don't see, as we're gathering and worshipping, there's angels filling this room. The Spirit is moving and working. God's speaking. God's revealing things. God's moving. We've been in meetings, and some of you remember those meetings, that we actually heard angels joining with us. It's almost that moment in time, our eyes were opened, our ears became open to the reality of what was going on. Just that moment, just that glimpse of a moment just happened. But ultimately, that's happening all the time. But we can't perceive it. And it's almost this sense, as I begin to get the reality of the awesomeness of God's power, of his glory, of, of the superior reality of God's presence, it draws me into an amazing place of worship. Because the thing that holds us back in our worship often is that we have a distortive view of God. Our distortive concept of who he really is holds us back in worship. But what revelation does, God begins to unveil to our eyes what he's really like. How good he is. How merciful he is. How powerful he is. How glorious he is. How majestic he is. And suddenly, as my eyes become open to the revelation of who he is, my responsive worship. You see, you, I think if we've got a distorted view of God, it will always limit us in our worship. And that's what the enemy does. He tries to distort our concept of who God is, our view of him. But what the truth does, it begins to reveal who God really is. I'll tell you something else what truth does. It begins to show you who you really are. Because if I really don't see myself the way God sees me, I'm going to live a life feeling condemned, feeling guilty, under accusation. And you'll never truly worship God with that heart attitude there. If you feel condemned and guilty and 
and all these and tormented you can't truly worship him but when the veil is removed and truth enters your heart that you're the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus what manner of love the Father's bestowed upon you that you should be called a child of God that you're more than a conqueror through him that loves you. Nothing's going to separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. God's for you, not against you. Just that revelation alone sets a lot of people free. Because truth and the reality of it begins to get a hold of your heart. And out of that truth, out of that reality, you say, Lord, thank you today. I'm righteousness. I don't deserve it. I've not earned it. But my eyes are open to your amazing grace. My eyes are open to your amazing love that you have for me. My eyes are opened to who you've made me in Christ. And out of that I just worship you. How can I not worship you when I really see from where I was to where you've brought me? There's a great book. I think I'll be doing the worship book. A.W. Tozer. Called, I think it's called The Worship of God. What's it called? What happened to worship? Yes, a great book about worship. You get a chance to read it. And one of the things he talks about is that because people don't really see who they really are, they can never truly worship. Because they don't see what they were to what they've become. They've never seen what they were in their old nature to what they were in their new nature. And so really, to them, they don't have much to be rejoicing about. But when you realise where you were heading, when you will realise the true condition of your old nature, under judgment, under wrath, and in Christ now, you become a brand new creature. How can you not rejoice? How can you not worship? How can you not worship when you see the glorious heaven that you've, that's going to be made available to you? You can't. You see, all these realities cause you to come to a place of worship. Those that worship me, worship me in truth. That means reality. Secondly, it means this. The word truth means nothing hidden. Nothing hidden. That's a powerful truth. The true worship comes from a heart. There's nothing hidden. You know what the reality is? That we may try and hide it from God, but the truth is God sees it. (laughs) How crazy can you get? I mean, God sees it, so why would you try to hide it from him? And true worship doesn't mean that you're perfect. It just means that you're honest and open with God. Say, God, you know what? This week, I acted pretty selfishly this week. Oh, Lord, I shouldn't have said that. Why did I say that? But, Lord, I thank you right now that you've cleansed me. And, Lord, you're worthy of my praise. It's not about me. It's about you're worthy. Not I'm worthy, but you're worthy. And so you come with a transparent heart with nothing hidden sincere and open and real before him and God says that's beautiful worship in my sight amen isn't that wonderful in spirit in truth and in what in spirit what's that mean it means my heart is submitted to the Holy Spirit the Holy Spirit I'm allowing him to to lead me I'm allowing him to work in me I'm allowing him to to do an awesome thing in my life because ultimately The Holy Spirit enables you to worship. You can't worship without the Holy Spirit. And for worship to be in the Spirit, it means I'm led, I'm inspired, I'm energized and empowered by the Holy Spirit. Why is that? 
You know what the main assignment of the Holy Spirit is? Always to glorify Jesus. The assignment of the Holy Spirit is to glorify Jesus. And so what the Holy Spirit does, he reveals Jesus to you. He shows you how amazing he is. Shows you how awesome he is. Shows you how magnificent he is. Shows you how glorious he is. Begins to show you the beauty realm of Jesus. The Holy Spirit reveals to your heart Jesus. Let me close with this because I know time's gone. Isaiah 6, verse 2, because we worship in spirit, we worship in truth, but also we worship with the right attitude. How many know you can do the right thing with the wrong wrong attitude? Let me realize that, which makes the thing wrong in the first place. Uh, But Isaiah 6, I want you to see something because I want you to see the depth of worship here because, first of all, a right attitude is that we're submitted to God. We submit everything he is. A true attitude, we have a sense of awesomeness, of how great, how awesome he is. We're stunned by who he is, and we have respect, we have honor, we have an awesome sign of that. So we, a right attitude is to be submitted to him. A right attitude is to have a sense of awe of him. There's a third attitude I want us to focus on just for a few moments as we close. Isaiah chapter 6. Well-known story, well-known scripture of when Isaiah encountered God. A man who was really looking and thinking, you know, King Uzziah's died and everything's going to fall apart. You know, this is not looking good. And so he says, in the year King Uzziah died, I love this, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above it stood seraphim. Each one had six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And to another he cried, Holy, holy is the Lord God of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Now, before I get into it, the thing is that what they cry is holy, holy, holy. That's a, if anything could prove the Trinity, that's right there, right? Is that right? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of mine. Where's the point? The true depth of worship actually will bring you to a place where you begin to see how holy God is. That's what true worship It brings you to a real awareness of his holiness. But now, do you know the word seraphim means? I'll look this up, quite It means the burning ones. That's what it means. Seraphim means the burning ones. It's almost a sense, the closer they get to the throne, they become burning ones. I love that. So, the more I worship, the more it's going to enable me to be a burning one. I want to be, how many want to be a burning one? Get to a place of worship. Now, with two wings they cover their face, two wings they kind of fly... That's kind of flying, isn't it? I think it looks like dead duck, but that's flying. Uh, and two wings that kind of cover their feet. When they cover their face, that's a sign of their humility. They just, they're humble, they're, they're before him. When they sort of fly, that, that's a picture of their worship. They're worshipping around the throne. Their perspective is the throne and they're worshipping around the throne. The feet stands for their service. That's what you get a hold of. True service comes out of worship. You can't really serve God unless you worship God. But you don't truly worship God until you serve God. They're all connected together. For example, I think I don't know, I think at eight, 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 e
That's when people clean the church, for example. And we could go on and on. After the service, our divine service carries on because we have people serving the teas. And Saturday, we had our divine worshippers were clean. So basically, as we serve, actually, we do it as an attitude of worship. If I don't do my service as an attitude of worship, it's not true service. You see what I'm saying? So I serve my brothers and sisters as out of an attitude. I'm worshipping God because I'm serving you. That's part of my worship. I'm showing my, how much I love God. My worship to God is served when I serve you, when I help you, when I serve in certain ways. It's, it's part of my worship. We don't separate service from worship. They are both intricately connected together. But I don't just serve without worship. Because then it loses the focus of what it's all about. But out of worship, I serve. I don't just worship and not serve. I worship, and out of worship will come service in some way. Isn't that wonderful? And that's what God works and moves and operates through true and mighty worship. Now, I love this part, and I'll close with this. So much more I could say. I wanted, I wanted, to, I wanted to talk about Mary and Bethany, but time is gone. I can't go into that right now. But what worship does, what worship actually is about being occupied with God. And, and when you get occupied with God, I tell you the result of that will be, you get changed. Worship changes you. I don't think anyone can enter into a true place of worship and remain the same when they come out. Is that right? I found in my worship, oh, something changes inside me. Something happens when I truly worship God. Why? Because what you focus on changes you. What you look at, you become like. You know that, right? So if I'm worshipping and focusing on God, as I centre and worship, focus on Him, as I, as I worship Him, then I become like the one I'm worshipping. That's why it's very dangerous to worship your dog. <laughs> oh. <laughs> because what you worship, you become like. Is that right? <laughs> that's, a, that's, a, that's a word right there for somebody. <laughs> but what you worship changes you. I want to become like Jesus. So I do become like Jesus. I focus on him and worship him. And the more I worship him, the more I become like him. What you focus on, you become like. Let's just come before him right now. So we just come before the Lord. in these moments say Lord today I just want to be a true worshipper of you a worshipper in spirit and in truth and the enemy today will, will fight you on that one thing worship if you would say God I want to be a worshipper sometimes it's going to be a sacrifice Sometimes it's going to just come so easy. It's just going to happen without any, any real sacrificial thing. But it's just going to happen. But the quality of the heart says, God, I commit myself today to be a worshipper of the Most High God. Come on, let's just stand right now in a few moments of his presence. Let's just worship him right now. We're going to pray for people in a minute. If you need prayer, we'd love to pray for you. But let's, let's start by just worshiping him. 
Let's bring his presence. This is free download from Lancy Leland Church. We meet every Sunday morning at 10.30am in the Lancy Leland Church building. Out the bank in the Temple of the Lions of Guernsey. Contact us or find out more information about us. Please visit our website at the Lancy Leland. Okay.